Welcome to Group Thinkers, the podcast from RKD Group. I'm your host, Justin McCord, and with me is Ronnie I Hate Broccoli, Richard. And uh, you'll learn more about that on, uh, on this episode. Each and every episode of Group Thinkers, we have someone from the nonprofit marketing space that is uh, thinking about things differently, approaching things differently. And, and in our current series of conversations, what we've really tried to dial into is, uh, is leadership and what leadership looks like and how people are impacted uh, and who they have been impacted by. And, uh, and so Ronnie, why don't you tell us a little bit about our guest today, Carrie Rich. Yeah. So Carrie has uh, a pretty incredible story. I think, uh, she started out in, um, healthcare administration and, you know, as you'll hear in the episode, she kind of just got on this path toward doing something different and that something different is now she's the co-founder and CEO of the global good fund. Uh, which uh, an organization that helps uh, people across the globe invest in themselves and as entrepreneurs in their business. And uh, she's impacted, you know, hundreds of people across the globe in underserved communities. Uh, and I just think it's just a pretty incredible story. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, you want to talk about like how impact can and purpose can almost become popcorn and you know you're gonna hear carrie um talking about her journey but just to tease it out for our, our listeners um there's actually this really kind of beautiful reflective moment in the conversation where we tie together her story and the work that she's doing today and it, it just dawns on me ronnie of how beautiful and uh impactful and addictive purpose can be uh and that carrie has benefited from it and and now continues to foster that for for people especially um from underserved communities yeah i mean you hear the term pay it forward and that's it's like literally what she's doing right now you know somebody invested in her and now she's paying it forward to others. Uh, one of the things that really stood out for me was, uh, when she was talking about, uh, investing in yourself before you can help others. And that sometimes we, you know, we forget to do that. We forget to take that time to invest in ourselves. And, you know, it's, you could really amplify it further by starting with yourself and then pushing it outward. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's really cool chat. I hope, uh, Hope uh, you guys all enjoy it. And uh, and so, yeah, so here's the chat with Carrie Rich on Group Thinkers. Okay, so now we have to talk about broccoli because we've said that we're going to talk about broccoli. Carrie, do you want to talk about broccoli now or do you want to wait and talk about broccoli in a minute? I'm going to give you I the choice. about broccoli right now. <laughs> okay, so here's the, here's the idea. Here's where this came up is there are certain wishes, hopes, prayers, thoughts that can be like broccoli. It, they're, they're good for you. Like there, there's all sorts of goodness, but have you ever noticed that broccoli seems to expand when you put it in your mouth and start chewing it? It's just so good. It is. It's good for you, but you didn't realize that it was going to take so much of your space. So like sometimes we have to be careful about broccoli wishes, right? Because it's going to expand 
and we may not be ready for all that it's going to bring our way. So that's that's the that's the broccoli wish. That's broccoli. Here, I did. I happened to eat broccoli last night for dinner. So this is giving new meaning to my uh, dinner menu from last night. But yeah, I you know when I think about the way you're describing broccoli, and I was thinking about how uh, that's what social impact work for me is like. You you dive in and then realize there's nothing I wouldn't do to you know, within legal and ethical bounds to try to make the world better. And you just, once you get started, you can't stop eating that broccoli. Sure. It is good. It is. Yeah. Ronnie, you got a fun fact for us about broccoli. I don't know if it's good. That's my, like, I, I don't like broccoli. And uh, my fun fact was going to be prior to about maybe 10 years ago, I didn't eat any green vegetables at all. And I've slowly come around to some green beans and some peas and, you know, like some zucchini and stuff like that, but still can't stand the broccoli. Can't do it. That means that you haven't had broccoli prepared well. That's all that that means. Perhaps. And pepper. Seasoning. You can add peppers to the mix. Those are pretty Cheese on top or something. Anything to hide the flavor, right? (laughs) Oh, no, it's good for you. It's good for you. I don't deny it. I agree. It's it can it, it can expand and it can fill all the space that you give it, just like social impact work. Um, and it can be uh, when you have it prepared well, it can be addictive, right? It yeah, and it can be, can be all consuming, right? It can be it's all consuming. You can't stop. It, it's a it's a good kind of addiction. It is a good yeah. It is a good kind of addiction. Uh, Carrie Rich, thank you for being a part of our conversation today and welcome to Group Thinkers. Thank you for having me. Did you think that when you woke up this morning that you would spend this much time talking about broccoli? I'm honestly really thrilled about it because um, I was trying to convince our kids last night to eat the broccoli and now I I have a whole new strategy to bring them. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Try it. Let's see. Yeah, I think for my parenting repertoire here too. No, it's okay. We we're gonna cover uh, all the mentions of of Carrie um, today. So uh, listen, we we appreciate you setting aside this time. Um, you know, one of the things that we try to accomplish as a part of our show is um, one unpacking someone's path, and so understanding your path. And in our current series, talking you know about the formative moments. And how those are inspiring, you know, the work that you're doing now, um, but then also just the people who have been instrumental. And so, I would love for you to um, give us a little bit of your journey, Carrie, and um, and you know, um, some of the people who have been formative along the way. Yeah, thank you. You know, I, I guess the first thing I would say is. I think it's super possible for ordinary people to uh, strive to have extraordinary impact. And I would consider myself one of those people. I had a pretty average upbringing, uh, really stable. The, the most adventurous part of my life was we moved next door when I turned a year old and uh, not a lot of risk taking. My my parents had the same same job between each both of them for 30 years each, you know, and then retired. So um, just hard work and prioritization around the people 
in their lives who matters what i grew up with a really stable sense of community and uh, i moved to washington dc um for graduate school and uh there i had to do an internship as part of grad school and i was paying all this money to go to school and i got uh, jobs in the hospital setting which is what i was training for was hospital administration um, I got jobs like pushing the snack cart, mopping the floor, um, folding laundry. And my takeaway was to try to do the best job I could possibly do, no matter what the task at hand. So if it was folding the laundry, like I was having a ball doing the best folding of laundry I could possibly do. If I was pushing the snack cart, like let's come with the best attitude I possibly could and serve the, the cookies and juice and make it the best experience it could possibly be for the patient. Right. And, uh, zealous, very overly zealous for... Yeah, lots of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and so uh, the best job I got was taking attendance because when you do that task, everyone who walks in the meeting has to introduce themselves to you. Mm -hmm. And who should walk in the meeting but the CEO of this whole health system, multi-billion dollar company. And, you know, when the CEO walks in, everyone sits up a little straighter. And so I recognized it was someone important and it turns out it was the CEO. And I went ahead and researched him and figured out that while he had been growing this multi-billion dollar healthcare organization, he was simultaneously growing community infrastructure in Haiti for 25 years, uh, which was wildly inspiring to me. And he had become the CEO at a really young age, um, 35. And so I looked at him and I said, wow, this is someone I want to learn from. This is someone who has phenomenal business acumen and skills. And he also lives a life of purpose and is making the world a better place. Like, I want to emulate that. And so I couldn't figure out how I would get the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company to take a meeting with me when I was the person, you know, mopping the floor and taking attendance and pushing the snack cart. So I asked his assistant if he would have a meeting with me about living a life of purpose. Because I figure everyone asked the CEO of a healthcare organization to talk about healthcare. And this is an opportunity to talk about something different. And we had a fabulous conversation that ultimately resulted in a job opportunity where he took a lot of um, interest in supporting my personal development and my professional development to be the best health administrator I could possibly be. And as a result of growing me professionally in terms of leadership development, I in turn grew the business, which positively impacted the community because it's a healthcare organization at the end of the day. And the premise became, how do we replicate this model where the medium is the message, where you have a high potential leader who has a heart of gold and a really strong work ethic with a business executive who has a strong moral compass and wants to turn that professional success into social significance. How could we put those two groups together as a catalyst for social good? And that became the Global Good Fund. That's incredible. And it's, and by the way, let's not jump over that you also co-authored your first idea or first book like somewhere in between there, right at the, you know, as a part of the formative ideas for the the Global Good Fund. Yeah. So he, you know, I didn't know. <laughs> I really wanted to spend my time around him because I wanted to learn from him. But I know CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies tend to be busy. And, you know, what I wanted to learn from him about was impact, um, which is not necessarily part of his business day to day. And so 
I got, you know, our first meeting, I was so excited to talk about living a life of purpose. And I got all dressed up. I got my suit jacket and I pulled my hair back in a tight bun and I had my closed toed pumps on. And I was, I was all ready and I was very corporate and composed. And we got in the meeting. It was a fabulous conversation. And at the end of the meeting, you know, I just didn't want it to end. The conversation was so meaningful. It was so impactful for my life. I was learning so much. And I think he was also learning from having a different perspective that was super relevant to the younger generation and uh, early careerists and what the current issues of the time are. And so at the end of the meeting, not knowing how to continue the conversation, I blurted out, would you write a book with me? And he said, well, you know, sure. Yeah, sure. What do we write a book about? And I, I just completely lost all composure. I jumped up out of my chair. I was so happy. I was like, I don't know what we'll write a book about, but you said, yes, this means you get to collaborate and I'm going to keep learning from you. And so for a year, um, he and I and one other co-author um, would write and he would, we would come in with structured questions and he would pontificate and answer the questions and we would structure it into a book and really translate his vision. And that exercise is what ultimately resulted in this job opportunity to become a, a vision translator for his vision for the future of health in the local community. At, at that point, as you're writing the book with him, you know, post-meaning, did the idea start to come to you to try something different in what ultimately became the Global Good Fund? Like you mentioned, your 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 background, your parents, not, you know, you you come from not taking risks and just kind of, you know, plugging away and doing your job. How... How did that idea form to do this thing that's so different? And and at what point did it kind of come about? Yeah, I had no inclination of starting a nonprofit actually ever. Um, that was not something that was materially important to me. And I would say that actually growing up in such a stable environment made me feel like I could take risks that I did have a safety net, that I had this stable support system behind me because I figured I would fail a good chunk of the time from taking risks, but I would um, have a support system to catch me. And what I recognized from the opportunities that resulted was that a lot of people don't necessarily have that safety net, that support system, that ability to take risks and not completely slash their futures. And um that became more evident to me once the book was completed and once I was actually working and I was working somewhere else at the time. And once the book was done, um, that was when the job offer was extended. And I realized from directly working for a boss who invested in my leadership that there are so few people. It's hard work to be a mentor and to sponsor and grow people really hard <laughs> to grow other people's leadership development. And uh, we have to make it easy for people who have hearts of gold and resources who don't have a lot of time to make a difference for the world. How do you make it easy for people to make a difference? And that's where the idea of what made it easy for him was that I was very eager to learn I wanted the input because it's hard to get feedback. It's hard to be told. It's hard to be critiqued, right? It's hard to be told what you're not good at and try to do something about it. Um, it's hard to set up a young person for success in terms of social impact. It's much easier to make a dollar. It's much harder to make a difference as, as other mentors have taught me. And so 
uh, making it easy to put high potential leaders who have a very strong work ethic, who are hungry to improve professionally from a leadership and personal growth standpoint with people who are seasoned business executives. That was my personal experience was working was what made that very realistic for me as, gosh, if we can make this easy for people who have professional success to convert that into social significance, then I think everyone here wins. The mentors win, the mentees win, the world wins. Like, well, why wouldn't we pursue this path forward? But Ronnie, honestly, it didn't dawn on me at that point to start a nonprofit. It's such an interesting, like, life imitates art kind of moment. I mean, you, you, um, whether or not it was just great improv skills or if it was in your subconscious to, one, ask the question that you asked of the assistant. Two, the, your closer at the meeting is, can we write a book, right? Like you're displaying uh, this high capacity and interest in doing something bigger, something more meaningful that then spawns into something that is a training ground for people to do something that is more meaningful. Like it, that's a, that's so, uh, so unique. Well, Justin, you know, when you, and I hear you say this because I'm not sure I've really honestly reflected on that much. Um, but one of the things that I talk to emerging professionals about now is how to be memorable in a good way. Mm-hmm. Cause there's lots of ways to be memorable, but it's not always in a good way. And you know, you can be memorable in how you present yourself. You can, you know, what clothes you wear. That's one way to be memorable. You can be memorable in what you say. You can be memorable in the questions you raise. You can be memorable in the way you ask those questions. And so uh, you can be memorable in, in what you decide to talk about. And I think what I realize is that we all, all of us, I have yet to meet a person who doesn't want to be underneath it all, part of something greater than themselves. Everyone wants to be part of something purposeful and greater than themselves if they've done any level of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. And that's that's no different whether you're an emerging professional or a seasoned CEO of a multi-billion dollar company. Dad. And yeah, recognizing sure. that it was sort of like, how can I help myself on this journey? And it was it was a pretty selfish act because I wanted to learn from someone who I saw as one of the best right. at, at having social impact using what we have, right? We can only use what we have to try to make a difference in the world. And I think I had nothing to lose from asking. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great story. It's a great moment. And obviously it's propelled you into territory that you were thinking was yeah. ahead of you as, as you mentioned uh, tell us a little bit about the you know about uh the global good fund and uh the scope of the work and services that that you all provide um as a part of the work that you do Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. So Global Good Fund is really an ecosystem. We were started as a nonprofit organization. We've been around 10 years and we get thousands of applicants from all over the world who want to be a Global Good Fund fellow. And these are entrepreneurs who are typically two to five years into their business, meaning they've taken a dive out of the hypothetical airplane. They're building a parachute on the way down. It seems to be working. Either they have an MVP um, that's a, 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 you know a valuable product that is 
um, looking like the market's responding to it and they're ready to to go hard to market, or maybe the this product or service is going really well in a local market and they want to scale the distribution. All of the companies that we support are social impact businesses, meaning you can't remove the social impact from the business and still have a solid business. And we're interested in businesses that are financially viable. So often those are a mixture of both for-profit and nonprofit companies, but they have to be financially scalable. And the differentiator for Global Good Fund is we're really interested in the individual. Our hypothesis is that when we invest in the individual's leadership development, if we pick the right people, that person in turn grows the business and positively impacts the world. And that's how individuals have a positive ripple effect. Once Global Good Fund was around for a few years, what we started to see, and and there was a process, right? It takes us six months to diligence thousands of applicants. Then we choose Global Good Fund fellows. And then we provide coaching, mentoring from a, a CEO of a, an impressive company, $40 million to $60 million company, one-on-one mentors each entrepreneur. We provide a stipend to support leadership development that the entrepreneur sets for themselves, quarterly goals. And then we measure on a quarterly basis, how are the entrepreneurs performing on a leadership basis, social impact, business case. And we have a summit, um, which is upcoming here, where we bring all the entrepreneurs together to learn from each other and network. What started happening was that the model started working. And so some of these companies not only became quite socially impactful, but also financially profitable. And VCs started coming in and cherry picking the most profitable businesses. And they would ask us, they would ask Global Good Fund as a nonprofit, which are the best companies for us to invest in, which was really frustrating because we'd done all this work philanthropically and then right. handed off the opportunity to make a financial benefit to someone else. And so seven years ago, we started Global Impact Fund, which is a sister venture capital fund that exclusively invests in social impact companies for financial returns. Um, on the nonprofit side, two-thirds of our companies are black or brown land and half are women-led. And on the venture capital side, 80% of our companies are black, brown, or women-led. And the beauty here is that the people who are closest to the issues are the people often leading the companies that have the best likelihood of addressing the greatest issues of our time. And so Mm. uh, it's serving a lot of underserved entrepreneurs. But again, the whole point of the venture capital fund is to make money for our investors and half of our investor base is black, brown, or women-led as well. So it reflects the diversity of the entrepreneurs we're invested in. And then a portion of the GP of the general partnership goes back to the nonprofit as a revenue stream. Um, and, and then in addition, the third leg of the stool here is that other entities started coming to the Global Good Fund and sort of asking if they could pick our brain, which is Q for um, take your intellectual property and not pay for it. <laughs> so, right, right, yeah. You know, it's like lovely if you're an individual, but as a nonprofit, um, it's sort of expected that you're just going to give away things for free. And, you know, we have people's livelihoods to support and a mission to fulfill. And so uh, this year, 10 years to the day of the founding of Global Good Fund, we launched a subsidiary that consults um, to companies and nonprofits that are interested in social impact and scaling their social impact. And we worked with organizations that are super small and some of our um, entrepreneurs that come out and want more support. And as big as Microsoft, uh, who are interested in sales for social impact globally. And so it's been a beautiful way to support philanthropy with a revenue stream that's consistent with our mission. So all to say we're an ecosystem for 
investing in leadership for social impact. And and investing in people. And, you know, before we hit record, Carrie, one of the things that we were talking about is the um, how purpose can become addictive in a good way, right? And Can you tell? And, right, but like, you think about it, I mean, just just one stat, and you can offer multiple others, but just one stat of the work that the Global Good Fund itself has done in creating more than 4,000 jobs in underserved communities. Mm-hmm. This is delivering impact, which can and should be contagious and push forward for greater impact and push forward for greater impact. And that's super unique. Like that, that should be celebrated. And so, you know, obviously kudos to you and the team, uh, is the, is the addiction what keeps you hungry to continue the impact? Like what keeps that drive going, uh, to just push further with this thing? Thank you. And, you know, I, our marketing team would not be um, too pleased with me now, but so it's been 10 years we supported 200 entrepreneurs and they've impacted 10 million, 10.2 million lives around the globe in 40 plus countries. That's they've raised over $120 million in capital in the year that they were during the fellowship program. And again, these are people who typically get 0.8% of the venture capital market. And so it's wildly impressive what these entrepreneurs have done. And it's, it's meaningful very meaningful to be a tiny part of their journeys. Um, The addictive part is that it's working and there's a market opportunity. You know, as much as it's a mission, it is a nonprofit mission. It's also an opportunity for our country and world to generate economic and social benefit in a way that's currently largely untapped. Everybody wins. Why wouldn't we want to pursue those avenues? And what I've learned from visiting our entrepreneurs around the world, which really feeds my, you know, feeds my soul. And the the, the um, longer we go on, sort of the farther removed I personally get in my day to day from the people we're serving. And so for me, yeah. it's very meaningful to get to witness firsthand the work that the entrepreneurs are doing. And what I see firsthand is that we all want the same things. No matter where we are in our lives, no matter where we live geographically, no matter what our surroundings are, we are, we all want clean air to breathe. Mm -hmm. We all want quality access to education for our children. We all want our elderly relatives to be cared for. We all want the opportunity to work and earn good wages, have a decent lifestyle and way to live. We all want access to quality, you know, health. And so no matter where you are in the world, we all want, there's so much that brings us together, so much commonality and uh, using entrepreneurship as a vehicle to address that requires leadership. It requires investing in people who may not be the loudest, who may not have a network or platform or might, but most don't. And if we can give a network platform and some capital and mentoring, get out of the way, these entrepreneurs have already demonstrated that they'll change the world. Carrie, I'm curious in in the ten years of work that you've um, done so far, what are some lessons that you've learned that maybe you could share with our audience in terms of leadership? One that's challenging for me is to first invest in myself before we ask other people to invest in us. And 
what that looks like, I'll give you a personal example. Um, broccoli, I, are you going to say broccoli? Broccoli is yeah, definitely the answer. Broccoli. And yeah. um, I really wanted to learn how to serve on a board. You know, as a nonprofit leader, you know, I have a board and um, I'm I'm managing a board, but I wanted to learn how to serve on a board. And to do that, I wanted to uh, not only shadow people, but eventually do some training on how to serve on a board. And those programs cost money. And, you know, I approached my board chair at one point and said, here's the governance training program I want to do. It's expensive by my me my by my standards you know will you cover half and i'll put my own skin in the game for the other half of this which was still a lot you know by my standards and he agreed and it demonstrated that it was a time commitment and a money commitment i put skin in the game and then naturally i wanted to do something with that and so when there then became an opportunity to join boards you know i was the first in line to submit a board bio and to interview and you know, now I'm really proud to say that I'm serving on a corporate board of a very large $21 billion nonprofit organization that distributes over a billion dollars every year, $1.4 billion to charity called Trinity Health. But the point was I never would have had that opportunity had I not put my own skin in the game and invested the time and money in my own leadership. How could I possibly expect someone else to take a bet on me if I didn't first do it myself? And I think it's a very uh, uncomfortable thing to do to spend money on yourself, especially when you're in the social impact sector. And to ask but for money. Necessary. Say it again. And to ask for money. So that, that can be uncomfortable for some people. Even funner when it's so hard. It does not get any easier. 10 years in, it's still hard. But I think um, it's really so much easier to ask for money for benefiting other people, at least for me, than it is to ask for money for myself and then realizing that listen if you never help yourself you're not going to be able to benefit others so that was a very important lesson for me to learn that i'd share that you know you have to first invest in yourself before you can expect other people to invest in you yeah making that time uh you know you were referencing earlier just that the more senior the role, sometimes you're further removed from some yeah. of the day-to-day parts and the busier the calendar gets. And uh, and so not only can it be challenging to invest dollars, it can be really challenging to make the time to invest in yeah. yourself. You yeah, know. I've learned, I do whatever the calendar says, and I'm now learning to just block time on the calendar for thinking time and reading yeah. time and reflection time. You know, otherwise there's always something else that can take up the time. Yeah. Um, Carrie, in the in the last year, your fourth book uh, was published. So Impact the World, uh, just as we kind of land the plane on our conversation and time together, Tell us a little bit about this uh, this current book, Impact the World, and the message that you're sharing in this book. Sure. Thank you. So this was an incredible, uh, very fun project with my co-author, Dean Falk, and um, we met in China exploring as part of the Eisenhower Fellowships. And um, the goal here was to put ourselves in a position of leadership development so that we're practicing, for at least for me, practice what I'm preaching here and make sure I'm investing in myself and 
making the time to do that. And, you know, we came out of that experience recognizing that a lot of people are distrustful of big institutions. And um, maybe some people take to the streets to protest or some people go out and lead their own organizations or businesses. But perhaps there's a way to collaborate with governments, institutions, organizations, corporations, um, and bring value add from the standpoint of making the world a better place. And we often think of um, states people as diplomats, but what if we brought that to everyday life? Um, what would it look like to be a citizen states person and impact the world? And so we've been able to share our learnings and also profile um, citizen states people who are making a difference all over the planet. Super cool. Uh, Carrie, you're continuing to find ways to create the itch and scratch the itch uh, around impact. And uh, and so we appreciate you doing that. Thank you. I'm, I'm uh, really excited to go eat some broccoli personally. <laughs> I think I'll pass. No, come on. Hide. Listen, we're... Put some cheese on it for you, Ronnie. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit of cheese. Is I think it's all in the prep. I think it's all in the prep of how you've had it. Like if you're boiling it and then just trying to eat it straight boiled, then obviously you're a child of the '80s. But there are better ways to have it now. It's still broccoli at the end of the day, though. I don't know. It's good for you. I'm sorry, Carrie. I apologize to you and to my fellow broccoli lovers everywhere for my colleagues' disdain of such good things. Carrie, we appreciate that we like, honestly, your time for sure. And we know that you're super busy, but let me just encourage the work that you're doing. And, uh, and you know, it truly does make a difference whenever you're leaning into people and, uh, and you've both been the beneficiary of that sort of thing, but now you're, you're doing it in a really unique way that is, um, worthy of both celebrating and then shining a light on. And so. Uh, we're glad that we're we're going to get to help do that in, in our own little way. Thank you so much for having me and for shining the light. We're really grateful. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers, Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers. 